Last week we read, and I said considered a letter that was written by someone who deemed themselves unacceptable. Something that we know to be absolutely untrue. So we took the message time to remind ourselves of what the truth is. And, and just as importantly, how we should respond to the message of this letter as a church. How we should respond as individuals and as fellow humans who also wrestle with self-worth and negative thoughts from time to time. And if the responses that I received from those who have listened either here in person or as an indication, it was a message that we all needed to hear, and it was well-received. I pray that it made a difference in the way that, that we view ourselves and others, and that each one of us has, has stepped up our responsibility to speak truth and lift each other up, not because of, of what we think mattering to someone, but, but that our actions and our words of encouragement express truth about God and his immeasurable love and care for every one of his children. I hope that the, the words of our lives are reflecting that as well. And had that written not, letter not been written, left and found and shared, we may not have had otherwise known about that person's struggles, that person who remains anonymous. So in a small way, I wish we knew who the author was. But more important reasons, I believe that it's good that we don't. Because we must live this life as if every person that we meet is a potential author so that we can speak words of truth and encouragement into them, into everybody. Not only our literal words, but also the message spoken by our attitudes and actions towards others. The other thing to consider is that the letter may reflect our own feelings about our value to God and others at various times in our life, right? We have those valley moments where we don't feel really good about ourselves and we may feel a little bit convicted, condemned, and down on ourselves, but God still loves us and we need to know that truth that exists whether we're up here or down here at a moment in life, that God loves us, period. And we must hold tight to God's truths because they apply to us. To that end, this handwritten anonymous letter was beautifully written and I pray will continue to be given its appropriate and required response. But with that re- memory message still fresh in their minds, I, I challenge us to consider if the empty seat near you in the church pew would be filled if there wasn't another person who is deceives and feels unacceptable by God or others. And that's the focus of this week's message. I simply call it the empty seat. There's something quite poignant about an empty seat. A beloved and familiar person long happily associated with it now occupies it no more. The impact of the vacancy is that it represents uh, their physical absence and, and a sense of sorrow. Not just the sadness about the person that is not present, but also the sorrow over what the absent person may be missing or what we're missing from them not being here. I'm going to break this down into three places in particular where we notice absences, and that's our home, our church, and in heaven. At home, we, we miss someone. We don't uh, we don't mourn the empty chair when that person has made their own way in life, right? Our, our children have, have flown the nest, and, and we miss them. But we, don't, we aren't necessarily sad in the same way because they're establishing their own family and, and hopefully have God at the center of it. And we celebrate these empty chairs because that means that there's a new chair at a new table, and, and, and it's being filled as the family grows. But however, to those who have lost a loved one, they know the emotions of the empty chair at the table. There are also those who have strained or broken relationships with their family, and they too may have an empty place at the figurative table in their lives that should be occupied by the loved ones that are no longer there by choice. I love this story from Acts 16, starting in verse 25, and it talks about Paul and Silas, and they had been uh, arrested. The, the mobs of crowds had kind of beaten them, and they were arrested, and they were in prison. And listen to their response. 
It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Well, that's interesting. They're, they're in prison, but they're, they're rejoicing. And, and we can talk about that. It's really its own message. But, but they were because they knew the power and the victory of God. And boy, they must be making an impact if, if people are stirred up. But it says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now listen to this. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prisoner's door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He was going to be in big trouble for this happening. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer bought, brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Okay. When we have our household together, we can share in joys and sorrows. We can also have influence over health and safety and beliefs. And, and so listen to this statement from 3 John 1, 4. It says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. There's no greater joy as a parent than to know that the people at your table, that the people that you had an opportunity and a responsibility to influence have made a decision on their own. And, and that was the joy of, of this interaction. The jailer, you know, he's like, whoa, there's must be a great God and these must be great people. And he invites him in the house and he was celebrating because his family was blessed. And he says, him and his household. That's what I got from that. And we are commanded to love and accept others, including the seemingly unlovable, because there is no one that is truly unlovable. But even if they are family, perhaps, especially if they are family. So we have to do what we can to humble ourselves, to, to pray for softened hearts. And that is not only their hearts, but our hearts. And restore that relationship. So if you have an empty place at your table due to a loss, you you may never be able to replace that person is gone. That's, that's true. But celebrate the place that they are now and perhaps invite someone to share in the fellowship and care that you have within you in your house and invite them to table. Fill that spot at your table with love for one another. Jesus calls us and tells us to fellowship with others. Not by any means the same, but, but this will have a lot of impact to those of you who understand what this picture is. It's the empty table that is displayed to recognize and show reverence for uh, a, a lost or fallen, fallen soldier. And um, it's really an emotion-laden image if you, if you understand what it means. And each part has symbolic, and it's a display of sadness and, and reverence. And you'll see some of the components, a, a dinner plate, and what you don't notice on there is a pinch of salt and a lemon wedge, and they each represent something uh, of, of value and importance, and an empty water glass, and a, a red rose with a ribbon, and a white candle, and, and the Bible. Okay? And they're each to remind us, but it's the empty seat, and you walk into, I think, is it Heroes over there off of um, Y and, and W? That, um, that has a table set like this every week um, for, to represent those soldiers that, are, that have fallen or POW or MIA to represent them 
and that empty seat is a is a, a place of of you know momentary pause as we reflect and and understand with great reverence what what that means. Now we have um, various circumstances creating empty seats here in church: holidays, weather, temperature, uh, illness, travels. And, and, and among those are some who've moved for a variety of reasons, and we, of course, miss them. And we know that they are still have a seat in, in a church that they found in their, in their new home. And we pray, and we're excited that when they find a connection with another congregation, because we know that church isn't a building. Church is a fellowship, a belief in, in Jesus Christ, and he calls that his church, his church. And when we do that, we celebrate, oh, good. You know, you've got a church home, you're contributing. I bet they love you like we love you. I hope you're getting everything out of it like you did here. And we, we celebrate. We don't consider that a competition. But we also have those who passed in life. And, and we remember fondly the smiles and the stories and the impression they made. That, that's not a pun. Um, in the pew. Like, but, but, you know, when I point to places, you know, right here and I say, who? Jack and, Jack and Rena, right? Um, you know, Lynn Tatlow, right? Wes Wade, these names, Trey, Trey Potter, and, and, and many, many more. And we look at them, we say, Jack and Rena are absent. Lynn, absent. Trey, absent. Wes, absent and missed. But then you point in heaven and go, present, right? That's where they're at. Absent here, present there. When we mourn the presence of an empty seat here is because there is more than a person that is missing just as in our homes is a part of our family missing, even if we haven't met the people that should be occupying these spaces. There's a, a functioning part of the body missing, as 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27 says, its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffer, every part suffer with it. That's why we pray alongside each other. If one part is honored, every part rejoices it. That's why we do our celebrations. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. There is a message of hope and salvation that has not been heard if someone is not here. Friendships and support from others can't be given or received if they're not here. It's a community. And for the person who should occupy that seat, that is what they are missing, even if they don't realize it. Those of us who are here must what they would bring to this body. Romans talks about each one, the body through many is form have one body and each member belongs to the other, each having a specific part. Iron sharpens iron, Proverbs says. But it's important that we, we gather here. And so when we see an empty seat when we, and we know it represents an opportunity to invite someone into a relationship, not just into our, into our congregation, not just into uh, our fellowship, but into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the sadness of an empty seat in church. Um, I often struggle when approaching and speaking to someone after they've been absent from church for a while because they're missing. Of course, I want them to know that. But more often than not, the response I get is usually a nervous look back and like, I've been meaning to come or uh, I've been busy or I'll be back soon. And that may or may not be true, but it's just something about when I ask that, that, that gets that. So that point, it's often uncomfortable just to really check and say, how are you doing? What can we do for you? Do you have any need? Um, and that usually gets a better response. But we share a responsibility in letting people know that they're missed and there's something that may be missing. 
And that reminds me of the familiar words of James 2, 14 through 17. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, where's it going with this? Listen to what it says next. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Right? That's like saying, I'm with you in spirit. I'm with you in spirit. Now, these words are spoken to make a point about action being needed. So verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But think about the contradiction when we convey, when we tell someone they are missed at church, that God is good, he loves them and cares about them, and so do we, and they need to hear that message, but then never invite them to hear it. Isn't that to some degree faith in the message, but no action to share it? Isn't that wishing them good things, but never giving them what it is within our ability to give them? So think about that. I, I remember that the video, I've shown it a couple times over the years, and it was um, Pendulette. And he was giving his video blog and, you know, he's the magician. He's a self-proclaimed atheist. And, you know, he talks about the man coming up and giving him a Bible after the service, after the service, after his performance. And, and this guy, I don't know that I would have had the courage because, you know, this guy's a comedian and he's a magician. He's very flamboyant and boisterous and he would probably just humiliate you would be my fear. But the guy did it anyway. And, and I remember the demeanor of Penn Jillette in this video blog, and it changed as he was describing this man. He said, that was a very good man. He goes, no, I don't believe there's a God. He goes, I know there's not. Okay, well, then you aren't the smartest guy in the room. But he says, I know there's not. He goes, but that was a very good man. Now, I always argue that Penn must believe in something or he wouldn't know what good is. Okay? He may not call it God, but, but there is a God, and that is how we know good. And, but he says... Because, but I, I, because I take that guy seriously and I respect him. And he said, here's why. Because if I believe that a bus was coming down and it was going to hit you, at some point I am going to push you out of the way to save your life. And he goes, now this guy believes that God is the only way to salvation. And he goes, how much more important is that than this? You know, and he's saying, so I respect that guy because he believes that this is the way to God and he went out and took care of that. So this is the same thing. If we truly believe it and we want to be taken seriously, we've got to live it. Okay, we've got to share it. We've got to invite. I'd like to share. Um, so anyway, the one that is absent, the empty seat is sad because they're missing on the relationship. Okay, so I want to share an illustration. I lost my spot. The, um, it's about the 2008 housing crisis. Go back one, if you would. Sorry. The 2008 housing crisis, remember that. It devastated many homeowners, making their mortgages impossible to pay. And when the FDIC took control of IndyMac Bank, California Savings and Loan Institution, they, they took steps to help troubled homeowners by lowering interest rates and offering loan extensions up to 40 years. Okay? So for a lot of people, this would have saved them in their house. It says only about half of the offers even received a reply. FDIC officials speculate that many of those receiving letters long ago stopped opening mortgage-related mail, right? I see it. I know it's, who it's from. I know what it's about. I know it's something that I can't do anything about, so I toss it. So they don't even open it. And it says, if they are right, these homeowners never got the good news because they didn't bother to read it. What a tragedy. In sending Christ, God made an offer that seems too good to be true. Yet there are those who have not accepted it. I wonder how many of them haven't rejected the offer. They just haven't heard about it yet. One more. 
we, we only had a couple Sundays at the beginning of the pandemic where we couldn't meet and we did had a little quasi video service and, and stuff. But, but some people were doing things like this. And the pastors would speak so that they weren't speaking to an empty room. They would put up pictures of the congregation. And I thought that was cool. But what I thought was more important than that is to me what this represents. And this is that, that God has a place for you in his home, right? Jesus went ahead to, to make a place for us. And your name, your picture, all that is, is marked up there. You've got a spot reserved. There's a name, a picture associated. This is what I kind of envisioned heaven to be like in some respects, right? There's a spot for you. It is reserved. There are good things planned for you. And that's what that reminds me of. So I'm, I'm going to start by, by reading and sharing the context of this week's scripture. Remember that Patrick read earlier in the service. Again, it's John 14. This was after Jesus had, had shared with his disciples that he was going to have to go away. He knew that the time was coming that he'd be leaving them soon. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you? that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And of course, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. We don't know what it is, you know. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's where we get that. No one comes to Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And he goes on to promise the Holy Spirit in his place to help us. So if we mourn the absence of the table in our home and, and we are saddened and convicted by the misopportunity revealed in the absence in church, which are all legitimate feelings, then how much more important is it when there is an absence in heaven and we have the ability to do something about it? We can only speculate what heaven will be like from the words describing it, but we're told that even those words fail to capture its full glory. The Apostle Paul repeats the prophecy uh, of God's words through Isaiah. It says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I don't know about you, but I can conceive some pretty cool stuff. And he's saying, it doesn't matter. It's gonna be so much better than that. And the Bible's full of descriptions of jade walls and gold streets and jeweled buildings and pearly gates. And since these supposed descriptions are things that we've also been conceived by humans as scripture, we know that heaven will be even better than these things. But what makes it so great isn't the adornment. It, it isn't just the end of pain and suffering and illness and the absence of evil, all wonderful things that are promised. What makes it heaven so, what makes it so heavenly is the presence of God. Heaven is good because that is where God is. Heaven is paradise because that is when and where and forever we are in God's presence. I have to pause here and share something. Um, and I thought of this as I was thinking about Jack and Rena. This was uh, a, a, an illustration, I'll call it maybe even a joke, that I had made. And, and Rena got so tickled, she'd often, she must have had me repeat it three or four times over the year. And it's about this couple, and, and probably, I would say, a lot like you and I. She's a little more worried about health and his health than he was. Insert own joke here. And... Um, <laughs> And she would, she like threw all the junk food out of the house and made him eat all this healthy food, including these bran muffins, which he thought were horrible. But that is all she would feed him are these bran muffins for breakfast. Not, not sausage, not biscuits and gravy, but bran muffins, okay? Anyway, tragedy strikes. They're both killed in a car accident. Um, that's not the funny part. But they get to heaven and, and they're being shown around heaven. And like, this is your house. And, and the man says, really, all of this? Yeah. And... and and 
what, what's all that out there? Oh, that's the golf course. You can play golf every day, no tea time, no whatever. You can go do that. And he goes, and, and right over there is the buffet, everything you could want on there. It's like, he just started crying. And, and her husband, his wife's like, what, what's wrong with you? This is beautiful. And, and, and he looked at her and he said, you and those stupid brand muffins, I could have been here years ago. <laughs> Rena thought that was hilarious. But um, golf isn't my thing, so the buffet intrigues me. So that's not my vision of heaven. But, but Revelation 31 shares some description. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might before God forever and ever. Amen. Wow. So glorious that even the angels themselves fall prostrate, right? Prostrate to the... Yeah, prostrate. Yes, don't slur that one. And to the ground, and they were worshiping and... And that's amazing to me. And then did you hear that? All people of all nations, there's peace among the people. And it says, for they shall see his face, his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no light there. They need no lamp nor light from the sun for the Lord gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. What a magnificent image this is of heaven. But what must we do to get there? The answer is simple and difficult at the same time. From Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus' own words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, come out, cast out demons in your name, and do many works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. It's simple in that all you have to do is accept the invitation. You don't have to have it right perfect. In fact, you will not have it right perfect first, okay? He says, come, accept my invitation. Come to the table, accept the grace and mercy that I have for you. I will make you righteous. I will make you clean. I will bridge that gap between you and where you need to be to have a relationship with your heavenly father who so desperately wants a relationship with you. It's simple, but what makes it hard is we have to, to humble ourselves. We have to get out of his way and say, you know what? I sinned. I blew it. And I blew it again today. And I'll blow it again tomorrow. But he says, just keep doing the work. It's so simple. Just accept, receive, come to accept the invitation. And I think that's where we really struggle. And, and I venture to say the empty pew is not necessarily here, but around the world or people you know, not hearing that news, not opening that ladder that says, I got a great deal for you. I got a great gift for you. All you've got to do is open it and respond. Because it's not God's fault when he makes an offer and we don't receive it when we reject it. Okay. There was a story about, um, well, here it says, an unbeliever once ridiculed the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying, if Jesus Christ is able to save the utmost, why is it there are so many unbelievers? The Christian to whom he was speaking stopped a very dirty little boy who was passing by and turned to the unbeliever and said, can you blame soap and water for the filth of this little boy? He says, salvation is available to all, but only those who accept it experience this regenerative power. Throughout the years, countless people have heard the truth proclaimed and yet still reject it. 
The blame doesn't lie with God, but with those who choose to live in on, on their own lives and in their filthiness. Instead of saying, I want to use that tool. I want to be accepted. And some people just think they can do it on their own. You know, we always hear from Ecclesiastes a lot of times in a wedding, two are better than one, right? Because we get better return for our labor. If one of them falls down, the other one picks them up. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands, not easily broken, right? We use that in marriages because Christ is the third strand that woven together. We are strong. You know, we can't do this alone. We aren't designed to do this alone. God wants us in communion and fellowship with each other and in communion and fellowship with him. And every time that someone accepts this, every single time, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, the same thing happens. Luke 15, 7 says this. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's from the parable of the lost sheep we read. And later in the same book, Luke 15, says in the same way, I tell you, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's about the lost coin. Every single person matters. Every single one is a victory that all those multitude that we heard about praising God in heaven are going, yes, yes, they accepted. They're going to come up and sit with us. Even the man crucified next to Jesus accepted him and was told, truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know, when my time comes, when, when your time comes to be with the Lord, however, whenever that day may be, we can face it with confidence and peace because Jesus is gonna look at us and give us his comfort and joy and speak these same words to you today. You will be with me in paradise. That's the prayer, that's the hope that he's been promised. Let's make that ours. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we, for some reason, we sometimes notice absences more than we know, notice things that are, that are present. So Lord, as we celebrate our families and so recognize that we have an empty space at our table, whether it's because of a loss or a broken relationship or something else, Lord, that, that we know that there is a, a place to be filled. Lord, whether it's in the, this church, whether there are empty places longing to be filled by those who are ill or homebound or, or just haven't been invited or heard the good news yet. Lord, we have a responsibility to share this, not just by way of words, but by our actions. You are loved. You are cared for. Let me show you what that means. And Lord, of course, all of this is about filling that vacant seat in heaven that by all accounts is reserved with our name, our face, our picture on it because you know us. You created us. You created us with that end goal in mind. We are here on this planet doing your will, doing your work. And you longed us for us to join you there. In fact, I'd say that you want us to be there even more so than we want to be there. That's how bad you want us to, to be in your presence. So Lord, put upon our hearts this burden, your burden, to fill every empty seat, every vacant seat, whether it's literal or figurative, so that people can know you and accept you. So we can do that ever important task that's so simple that says, stop, repent, accept. And then we can claim that promise that says, if we do this, then you will. You promise you absolutely will. Give us a life eternal with you and bless us.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this message. We just thank you that we've heard it. Lord, let us be changed for what we've heard today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.